So anyway, we are thankful for every one of you that is here. And um, I want to thank you for being so faithful in, in coming and in participating all year long. Uh, you make the Bible study. It really, without the conversation and the, the questions and, and your participation would be totally different. So I am really appreciative of you, and I, I thank the Lord for you, really, and, and for the fact that that I get to be here, and Michelle is here to help, and we, we work together well. So we have a lot to thank God for. So we won't be meeting now between now and uh, September, probably, Lord willing, and we'll just see how things go. So... Um, We'll look at these parables today with the idea of how can we learn to live them out in our own lives and be what God wants us to be. So let's bow for a word of prayer and, and then we'll um, dig right in. Lord, we thank you for what you have planned for today. We thank you, Lord, that we can be here to look into your word. I thank you, Lord, that what we've studied this past few weeks is right from your word and also about your word and the fact that the word of the Lord stands forever. We pray, Lord, that you would just teach today um, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask that we would be open in our hearts and our minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're at um, Kingdom Parables. And we're going to talk about grace today. And the first parable that we look at, the parable of the vineyard, <clears throat> is kind of a, a different parable. And chronologically, it probably appears late in Jesus' ministry. Um, before his crucifixion, it's placed early in some of the Gospels. Matthew has it in chapter 20, and that's about right. But it, it really is intended for the people who have chosen to follow him. And um, what he does is to teach us that we can't live on a system of works as the Pharisees did. And that we are totally dependent on the grace of God. Even though we think sometimes we can help him along. So um, I want you to take your Bibles and... I'm going to start. <clears throat> I'm going to start reading in chapter 19 rather than in uh, chapter 20, where the parable is. We need to interrupt this uh, meeting, important meeting. Okay. <laughs> to to express appreciation to you and Michelle. Come on. Come on up. <laughs> Isn't that pretty? Uh -huh. Thank you so much. Right there for you. That's beautiful. Thank you. Wow, totally unexpected. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Thank you so much. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> well, that was a nice surprise. <laughs> um, I'm going to start reading in Matthew 19 because it leads into the parable that we're looking at in chapter 20. And um, it, it kind of sets us up for the whole thing. So Matthew 
I bet I mean, let me see. 16. 19, yeah, Matthew 19, starting in verse 16. <clears throat> the rich young ruler. Probably familiar to you and might seem strange to connect, but it really fits. It says, now a man came up to Jesus and asked him, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And this is the theme of the Pharisees. What do I have to do to get into the kingdom of heaven? The other verses that I have on there, um, on your outline from Luke 10 is the same thing. Luke 10, 25, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And John 6 is what must we do to do the works of God? So from a pharisaical standpoint, works trumped grace. What must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And so we have this young ruler, nice young man, and he says to Jesus, what good thing must I do to inherit or to get life? To get life. And then Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones, the man inquired, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man says, all of these I have kept. What do I still lack? If I've done all of this, what do I lack? And Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. <clears throat> so what Jesus asked him to do, he could not do, which was to submit to the Lord and put his life in the hands of Jesus instead of in the hands of the treasures that he thought that were important. When the young man heard this, he went away because he had great wealth. And then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples, of course, when they heard this, they were greatly astonished and they asked Jesus, who then can be saved? If this rich young ruler can't be saved by just simply giving up things and giving up or doing what he thinks he has done, who then can be saved? And Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, with man, this is impossible. What is impossible? What is he saying? With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. What was at the top of the young man's list? What must I do? And if I can't do it, what must I do still? I have done everything you've asked me to do except what Jesus required of him, which was to give himself to the Lord. And he says, Jesus looks at the disciples because they're puzzled too. Who can be saved? This young man has kept all the commandments. Isn't that enough? Think about it. He's kept the commandments. Isn't that enough? And Jesus says, no. And then he says, with, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And Peter, and I want you to note this, Peter's sitting right around Jesus, one of the disciples, his own people. Just so you see how easily we can be tripped, okay? Peter asked him, 
Well, we've left everything to follow you. What will there be for us? What's on Peter's mind? Rewards. Results. Rewards. Lord, we've left families and all that you've asked, and we're following you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus says to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much um, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Now, Jesus gives them a glimpse into what rewards they will get. But he's careful. And he says this, don't be surprised, guys, if there's things that are very different in the kingdom of heaven when we're all there together. Because many of you who are first right now will be last. And many who are last will be first. What's he talking about? What do you think? This is the key to the whole two things we're going to talk about today. I, I think it's about intent. You're to glorify God in what your works are and not, not notoriety for yourself. And not pile it up so that everyone can see it. Because there may be those in the kingdom of heaven when we're all gathered together who are brought from the back and they're usually in the back of the line, but maybe because of the prayers of a believing heart, there's hundreds of people who have met the Lord. He alone knows what's going on within the heart of mankind. And those that work and are frontward and in the front of the line or visible may not be the first ones rewarded. That's really what he says, very simple truth. But we trip on it because we, like everybody else, and even like Peter and the disciples, had the idea that, well, if I have left everything, surely I'm going to be first. If I have given all. But that's what Jesus asks of all of us. He says, surrender yourself to me. Leave all of your wealth behind. Come and do the will of God. Come and obey me. But obey me from the heart. Don't count up what you're doing so that you're looking at somebody else and saying, well, for sure, I'm going to get a bigger crown than he gets. I'm worth more. I do more. Jesus is saying, I see what you don't see. I see the heart. It's the same old thing from 1 Samuel. The Lord looketh on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord knows the heart of man. And the finest of people, the most popular of people, the best preachers and teachers can think that they are doing a wonderful job. But they may not be first in line. And Jesus says, don't worry about it. Yes. And pride just sneaks in there. When pride sneaks in. a good job. And even the disciples, when Peter asked that question, you can tell that he'd been caught even in that context of, oh, Lord, look, at we've left all to follow you. Isn't there going to be something for us? And Jesus gives them a glimpse. But then he adds this thing at the end, and he says, well, listen, many who are first are going to be last, 
and the last will be first. And the whole context of this is that the Lord alone knows. He alone is in charge of what we receive from him. So we go into this first parable, and um, I have it printed out. Sometimes I think that I do that so that you can look back at, at it when I ask questions. But I want to read, I'm going to read through um, verse 7 there. And I'll just read from what I have printed here. And then we'll talk about the questions that we have. Because this one really is designed to make us think of how we regard our works. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. Think about this. This is what the kingdom is like. Like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius, which was a day's wages for the day, and sent those into, the, into his vineyard. About nine in the morning... He went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. Now, these would be called day laborers. And they're hired from day to day, and they're generally people that don't have a lot of money and that are um, looking for work. And so he went out about 9 in the morning. He saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go out and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went, and he went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon, and he did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out, and he still found people standing around looking for work. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you must go and work also in my vineyard. So let's take a look at this and see how we can pull some lessons out of it for us. Um, I have up here, the parable is meant to address the desire or the need to be first, or feeling privileged, or deserving of more than others. But Jesus is teaching something about the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you remember, all of the parables, uh, most of them anyway, that we've started with, start out with the kingdom of heaven is like... So when we talk about this, we're talking about believers, um, but it's also talking just about ordinary people, ordinary working people um, who have a need to be hired. They go to the marketplace, they stand there, and let's identify the main character. The, land, the landowner is who? Would be the, the Lord Jesus, okay? The Lord Jesus, looking in his kingdom, and the vineyard represents... Large place, kingdom of heaven, kingdom. Where we are, where there are others. And then the workers that are hired are found where? In the marketplace. In the place where there are people coming and going. Okay? And again, generally these would be people who are ordinary. They're not upper class um, they need they need the money and they need the work and so let's pick this apart a little bit. What if any difference do you see in the promise of the landowner to the various workers that he hires during the daytime? Any difference? Yeah. No. 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 Well, yes. no. Let's hear a yes. I say yes. yes. Okay. What are your yeses? The first one he says an amount, a specific thing, and the other ones he says what is right. Okay. Any other differences before we go on? 
First one he does. He says, I'll give you a denarius a day. The so amount that, of labor? What? The amount of labor. The amount of labor. He, and he, he basically tells him, go in and I will pay you and do what is right according to what you have to do here. So um, what about those of you who think there is no difference? I think there's no difference because, and to me the parable means if you spend your walk with Jesus your whole life, it's the same as if you spend your walk with Jesus at the very end. The, the reward is both redemption. And that, that really is how this is going to end up. And at the beginning, the only difference, the real difference is that the first ones hire, hired hear him say an amount. Mm -hmm. And that amount sticks in their minds. Okay, and we'll just see how important that is to them when we get through this whole thing. So we're, let's take the second question. Were there any remarks made regarding their lifestyle, their work ethic, their place in society? No, no, no. no. Just workers. Just workers. Those are needed to work in the kingdom. What do they all have in common? They worked. They worked. They all went to work, including the ones that were hired later in the day. So let's go on from here. Verse 8. On your outlines, I'll read from there. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came <clears throat> who were hired first, they expected to receive more. <clears throat> but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. So the twist on this story is what? Generally in a, in a illustration or a parable that Jesus uses, there is a twist. What is the twist here? The twist is there's unequal pay. For the work that's done. Unequal pay for the work that is done, but equal pay for all. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Equal <clears throat> pay for all. And so we have some grumblers. The problem, what is the problem that the first hires have with the landowner's behavior? And do they have a valid argument? Look at their argument. They said, we were hired first. They were hired last, really late in the day. You're making them, what's the word? Equal. Equal to us. How dare you? <laughs> okay? Do they have a valid argument? No, they were all promised the same amount. Basically? Only in their minds. In their minds. <laughs> they need a union rep. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> 
But you see, that's what we would say today. <laughs> you guys better get unionized. Um, anyway, when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. And those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. You have made them equal to us. Hang on to those words who have borne the burden of the work and the heat in the day. What do you think about that? It's a true statement. They agreed to work for that amount. They agreed to work for it. Mm -hmm. Yes. I kind of laugh. This is really just funny, not serious, but I used to work in HR, and this would be the exact reason you never share your wage with someone. <laughs> never say what you got. That is the truth. Yeah. Yeah, right. mm -hmm. You see, we're so we're so value prone. Yeah. And so prone to be paid what we think we deserve. <clears throat> and that's what this is about. This is about working in the kingdom of heaven. And if I do more work than so-and-so, I then should get a bigger reward. But the first shall be last, and the last shall be first, based upon what Jesus sees. And what he offered, he offered himself. Now, let's go on and finish this up, and then I'm going to ask you some more questions. Um, the landowner's answer in verses 13 through 20. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Don't you agree? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Well, yes, I did. Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Are you envious because I am generous? Don't I have the right doesn't God have the right to do whatever he wants to do? Yes, Joan. Uh, two things. As humans and human nature, mm -hmm. I'm sitting here reading, okay, there's a bunch of workers. They're there early in the morning. They're ambitious. They're ready to work. They probably were better workers, and they did work all day in the hot sun. And these other guys, he goes back, and they're standing around at 5 in the afternoon. They finally mm -hmm. showed up. I mean, how good of a worker that they're going to be. And that's, you know, so it's, it's hard to justify. It's, it's a totally logical yes. argument yeah. that the ones who were hired worth, were first deserved more. That's the logic of it. And but I find it so very encouraging, especially for those of us who have unsaved relatives and friends, mm -hmm. that there is a chance. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, and the Johnny. other half of it is that I came to the Lord late in my life. I missed out. Mm -hmm. I missed out on blessings that could have been mine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have to look. And, you know, my mm -hmm. little crown in heaven isn't going to have as many stones in it. <laughs> as have. And that's different than salvation. Mm -hmm. That's totally it's different. It's totally different. Salvation is for all, but. Right? John. I have to give a shout out to Tom Burfield because my daughter's student taught under him. She just praised him. She says, Mom, he's just the best teacher. And one of the lessons he had with his, Johnny, I don't know what grade he taught, fourth grade? Uh, he did six. Six. When she, when she so was, sixth yeah. graders can be a tough class. He came in one morning and he gave one of the kids a Snickers bar. And all the rest of them were moaning and growing. Oh, I want a Snickers bar, you know? And his lesson to them was, when you came to school today, did you expect to get a Snickers bar? <laughs> did you earn a Snickers bar? Mm -hmm. Sometimes life's not fair, but it is this lesson right here. It is. Mm -hmm. Now, conversely, 
Of those workers who were grumbling, if I'm the employer and I say to them, do you really want what you think you deserve? What do you really deserve? What do we deserve from God? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. But he has given us his all. He has given us his best to the least of us. To the one who came in at the last minute, the gift of eternal life goes to him in full. And when we all get to heaven, what a glorious morning that will be. And that last person in the door that's just squeaking in, Hallelujah. And part of this lesson is, shouldn't we be praising the Lord for each one of those late workers that made it into the field to work and got the reward that the landowner offered? Praise God. Because if you have unsaved people, your heart aches for them. And if they make it in that door, you're going to be praising God. And you don't want them to get one little less thing than what you got. Eternal life is the reward of the ones that accept the Lord Jesus and allow him to be their God. If I ask God to give me what I deserve, I deserve nothing less than the penalty of death. But because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, I have life. And that's what we are all going to receive. The gift of God. Now, these verses are familiar to you. <clears throat> I'm going to just take a few minutes. I would like you to turn to Romans 3.21, starting out first. When you think about the gravity of this and the grace of the reward for all, doesn't it just touch your heart to know that the Lord is giving to someone who's just squeaking in? The same thing. Now, Romans 3, starting in verse 21, this is about the grace of God, as opposed to the labor of works. Verse 21, but now a righteousness from God, <clears throat> apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to how many who believe? All. to all who believe. There is no difference. There is no difference to him who believed last than to him who believed first. The kingdom of heaven is open to them. What happened to the thief on the cross? Jesus said, this day you will be with me in paradise. Had he ever lived a perfect life? No. He was being crucified for his sins, but he chose to obey the word of the Lord. And this day, with all that you've done, it's over. It's past. You've been justified. And you can come into the kingdom of heaven as the same as one who has believed on me for all of his lifetime. Is that what you want? That is what we want. That's what we want for our loved ones. Okay, let's go on here. <clears throat> this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believed. There is no difference. Think about that. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's what we are, every one of us. And are justified freely by his grace, not by works. Justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. And he did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ Jesus. And the verse that goes along with this is Ephesians 2, 8, 9, four by grace, you're saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God to all who believe. Isn't that an interesting parable? <laughs> it blows your mind if you pick it apart. It really does. The power of the Lord to show us what we need. <clears throat> um, let me see here. Let me keep going. I have couple of other things here. So when we get down to this, down at the last, what Jesus is teaching in these verses about the works and the system of the law, the law has no value for us as far as salvation is concerned. It's the righteousness of God and the justification of Jesus Christ given to us freely without works. Okay? What does it say about grace and the kingdom of heaven? Basically, what it says is, it is grace that brings you into the kingdom of heaven. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. So I could go and work in that field, and if my heart is not right, the Lord knows that. And what does it say about rewards? I want to read one other passage of scripture about rewards because like Johnny said, entrance into the kingdom is based on our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. For by grace you're saved through faith, but there are rewards. And Jesus talked about them to the disciples. <clears throat> Will you turn over to 1 Corinthians 3? <laughs> Verses 9 through 15. Okay. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, this is Paul talking, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it but each one should be careful how he builds. And this is talking about working in the kingdom of God, working in that field. Each one of us should be careful how we build. And then it says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. What does that verse mean? 
Everything we do will be revealed. Everything we do will be revealed, and it's revealed to God. His work will be shown for what it is. Now, I'm not saying that this is going to be all in public and everybody's going to go, ha, ha, I see that. <laughs> I think that God has a plan where he judges us and, and rewards us in his own way. We're going to have to wait till we get to heaven to find out just how he does it. But this is what it's about. And, and what it's really asking you is to build on that foundation, whether you build with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. Maybe you don't have... Uh, the types of materials that would build the biggest skyscraper. But what God wants you to do is to be building in the kingdom. And so um, it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. And if it, if it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved but only as one escaping through the flames. In other words, the Lord knows the work that we have done and the value of the work. And I'm not to mind somebody else's reward. I'm to be conscious of how I am working for the Lord. And is my work of good quality? Am I doing it with the right attitude? Am I submitted to him? Is there pride? All of these things the Lord considers. And again, he will reward, the first will be last, maybe, and the last will be first. And heaven's going to give us some real surprises. Because the Lord alone will test the value of our work. And we stand before God who is perfect. And we do not have to worry if our work is equal to someone else's. We only have to know that we stand alone before God on the basis of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if he would give us what we deserve, we deserve nothing. And could this be related to talents and abilities that God has given us? What? Could this be related to the talents and abilities that God has mm -hmm. given us? Because we are all different. Right, we are all different. God gives us different talents, different abilities, he calls for us to take those, use them according to his will. And don't measure it against somebody else, but ask the Lord, am I spending what you want me to spend? Am I giving you my all? Marcia? Yes. I think it ties back into that opening conversation you read that Jesus had because the yellow ruler had followed all these things, but actually his stuff was more important to him. Mm -hmm. You know, and so how you're saying, and it has also been mentioned, I can't remember which lady said it, what's our attitude, what's my attitude mm -hmm. when I'm doing the work? And I think that would also relate to the quality of the building materials, mm -hmm. is how grudgingly am I doing this, or how graciously Absolutely. am I doing this? How am I using what God has given me, Marion? A long time ago, I heard on the radio, what did... Uh, Princess Diana, Elvis Presley, and Mother Teresa have in common. <laughs> and my mind was traveling around, you know. And I said, if they didn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, we wouldn't see them in heaven. Yeah. If they did not know the Lord. All of our works are in vain if we do not know the Lord. And this young man, and that's a good point that Jan brought up, 
This young man had done everything right, but his heart was not right. So if I were to get what I deserve, I deserve nothing. But by the grace of God, I'm saved. And by the grace of God, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Praise the Lord. Now, I want to go on from there to the next parable. Unless you have any other comments before we go ahead. This one is very different from the first one. And in all honesty, I thought about teaching this one first. But it, we can connect it. Um, because it all basically has to do with the same theme. Because we have um, Jesus dealing with how I always say, his favorite people, the, the Pharisees. <laughs> I shouldn't say that because he loved them too, but they did not have any, any love for him whatsoever. So in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, we have a totally different parable. Um, and actually what we have is an account of a story. And in the, in the inside of that, Jesus... Um, tries to teach the main character, Simon, something through a parable. Simon doesn't quite get it, but he can't help it. He just, you know, he's just not with the Lord. So, Jesus anoints a sinful woman, and I, I call it grace in real life, because this is what happens in each one of us when we meet the Lord. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And I'm always stuck by that because I think of, man, what an uncomfortable way to eat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> laying, laying down and scooping the food in. <laughs> I cannot imagine it. But they had long benches and apparently laid in such a way that their feet hung out over the side or the back and, and they lean with an elbow and maybe however they did it. Someone trained them from the time they were little to eat that way. <laughs> so anyway, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. It was a, a fine dinner. And a woman from that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating in the Pharisee's house. Now this would be the, the same kind of people that um, wanted nothing to do with Jesus. But she learned that he was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster or costly jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. I want you to picture this in your minds a little bit. really different in our day and age. Um, I'm going to finish this and then we'll talk about it. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. So um, I want you to imagine yourself at a fine restaurant. <laughs> Imagine, right? <laughs> Especially with today's prices. Um, and, and this would happen. It would, in my mind, create quite a scene. 
but she could have come in from outside, talked about it in the commentaries about the doors being open. It was always a warm climate, but big rooms and people could come in and out. And at a feast like this, it wouldn't be unusual for there to be even people gathered outside, especially if Jesus was present, because he tended to draw people to him. So just from what we have there, I want you to think about this. I want you to contrast the Pharisee with the woman who enters his home. How does he view the woman? He calls her a sinner. sinner. Now for the Pharisee, that would mean a whole lot of stuff. A whole list of things included in that. So I want you to think of this and let's together list the cultural, social, and religious issues that she might have and that he would charge her with. The Pharisee is looking at this woman and she's a sinner. That's a word that encompasses for him a whole lot of stuff. It encompasses what? For a Pharisee to touch a sinner. Unclean. Unclean in his home. Think about this. What else? Uncultured. Heaven help me, don't you have any manners? Really unclean in two ways. Unclean in two ways. Go ahead, Jan. Spiritually and physically. Mm -hmm. Spiritually unclean and physically unclean. He would consider her that, especially spiritually. Anything else? She was a woman. She was a woman. Horrors. (laughs) The women were not considered welcome. And I'm sure in this dinner, there were no women. Pharisees. The women had no place. They were called dogs and less than dogs. Unclean. especially her kind of woman. What else is she? I'll tell you one, uninvited. Yeah, like how did he even let her into his house? Exactly. She snuck in. (laughs) Anything else about this woman? She was persistent, though. She wanted to be there. That's right. We're going to talk about this when we, because her view and reason for being there is 100% valuable. But from his standpoint, she was an outcast. Mm-hmm. Not welcome. But he didn't remove her from his house. Well, because, because why do you think he didn't? Because of Jesus. Because she was the tool to trip him up. I mean, she... He, he wanted to trip Jesus. Oh, yeah. Something. So she was, he probably looked at her like, oh, here's, here's my opening. Yeah. But he also was afraid to trip, to boot her out for fear of what would happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got so much pride. And he stands there, I'm sure he's watching this going on because what she does, <clears throat> she lived a sinful life. She comes in with her alabaster jar of perfume. 
and she stands behind him at his feet, weeping. Why? For her sin. She feels she, unworthy. She, she has met the Savior. She yeah. Yes. I had a post show up from Stacy Eldridge two days ago about this. It was short, I'd like to read it. Mm -hmm. Do you sometimes feel misunderstood? I think we can all say that we do. I think Mary of Bethany, I think of Mary of Bethany and how misunderstood she was, except by one. Mm -hmm. When Mary poured the contents of the alabaster jar on Jesus, anointing him, no one understood what Mary did except Jesus. Jesus got Mary, and he gets you. He knew Mary's heart. He knew the depth of her love. Mm -hmm. He said, she has done a beautiful thing to me. He never said that about anyone or anything else. She did a beautiful thing to me. What was that? She spent all her love on him. Mm -hmm. Now, and, and this is one of the things when you, when you read things, this is not Mary of Bethany that's doing oh, this. This is a woman from the street. Mm -hmm. Mary of Bethany would have been someone that Jesus knew, Mary and Martha. Okay. And so that that would have a, a little bit of different flavor there, but the same the same thing would be true because it would have been the same type of banquet where people were um, called for a specific example and then she interrupts. Here is this woman and she then comes in with her jar of perfume, stands at his feet because that's the only part of him she can reach. I mean, if she'd have gone to his head, she'd have really had to elbow her way in. And I think it would have been really uncomfortable, but she, she began to weep. And she wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them over and over. So how does the woman view Jesus? As her Savior. Worthy mm -hmm. of all she has. Mm -hmm. Even worthy of entering a house where she knows she's not wanted because she had met him and known him. So, how does the Pharisee view Jesus? This gives us a hint. Well, he's looking, he's looking to trip Jesus up. He's looking to trip him up. Not looking at him as valuable. Well, he doesn't even see him as a prophet. He doesn't see him as, as a prophet. He doesn't see him as Jesus, who he is. He doesn't see him as the Son of God. He doesn't see him as a prophet. Um, he says, if this man were mm -hmm. a prophet, he'd know better than this. Doesn't call him anything. Doesn't use his name. Doesn't use a title. Doesn't anything. Because he had Jesus there for one reason, and that was to trip him up. So. It's so interesting because she sees Jesus and herself clearly. Mm -hmm. And Simon does neither. Right. Simon doesn't see Jesus for what he is. Nor his own self. Yep, doesn't see himself at all. He's one who thinks he deserves more. The first will be last, and the last will be first. And see, he sees himself as at the head of the line. It doesn't matter to him how he teach, treats Christ doesn't matter to him, even though he's a religious leader. It, it amazes me. So let's look at Jesus' response to Simon. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. 
So he lets all of this go on and not a word has been said here. In other words, the woman comes in, she weeps, pours out the alabaster, the perfume from the alabaster jar and the Pharisees is kind of watching. And Jesus responds not to what Simon said, but what? To his thoughts. Okay? Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You had judged correctly, said Jesus. Now, um, down below there, I have this comment. Jesus' story is something that Simon is very familiar with. And it's an illustration of how the religious elites reasoned. It's an outcome of Jewish theology based on a system of works, and it is so much for so much. You have earned so much for doing so much. You've worked 10, 10 hours, I will give you 10 denarii. Whatever, whatever's agreed upon. So much benefit for so much work. And conversely, much, um, little benefit, little work. Everything in the scribes and the Pharisees agenda was based on how much work has been done. So, and that little phrase, so much for so much, is part of their theology. You, do, you earn this much for doing this much. So, let's look at this on the next page of the outline. Jesus uses this illustration to teach a lesson about grace. Okay? Their illustration is you do so much for so much. That's their theory. So, how does Jesus' teaching turn the reasoning of the scribes and the Pharisees back on Simon? According to their law of so much for so much, what does Simon deserve? If Simon were to earn anything for having his guests in for this big dinner, what do you think he deserves? You earned so much for so much. Let's look at this. I'm going to read down here. He turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't even bother to help clean me up from the outside. That was part of the, the hospitality, was to allow the feet of those guests to be washed by a servant. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered did not stop kissing my feet. Kiss on the sides, like we see the, the French, you know, air kisses. <laughs> you didn't give me a kiss. You did not put oil on my head and cleanse the dust away, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Now, 
How does Jesus turn all of this? Simon's reasoning is so much for so much. And Jesus says what to Simon about that? He deserves to be rebuked. He deserves to be rebuked because, Simon, you have given me... If you go by your rules, Simon, this is what you have to see. If Simon weighs himself by his own rules, how does he do? Nothing. And that's the point of this. Simon is looking at this woman, and she is an untouchable. Jesus said, Simon, your own rules are you earn this much for doing this much. And Jesus says, okay, Simon, what do I owe you for what you have done? So much for so much. What did Simon do? He did nothing. He did not welcome Jesus. He did not care for him. He did not love him. He did not do anything to show anything for him other than that he was someone to be tripped up. Not worthy. He's a guest in Simon's home, not treated with any special care. So Jesus says, Simon, you didn't do any of these things, but I tell you, her sins, her many sins have been forgiven her, as her great love for me has shown. How did she show her great love? She gave all, all her heart belonged to the Lord. But for, for whoever has been forgiven little, which is Simon in this case, loves little. Simon's behavior showed us that he did not love. He did not love the Lord. Simon thinks that he has a reward coming because he has invited the Lord to his house and made a great show of things. But his inside behavior shows him to be lacking in everything. Lacking in love for the Savior. Lacking in love for the people he claims to serve. Not doing what the Word of God would have told him to do as a leader in the Jewish world. So the message to him is, you've done nothing to earn a reward. Now, I'm going to go down to the end of this. Jesus said to her, to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, I want to ask you this question. What do you learn about grace from this parable? And how is it different from the teaching of the Pharisees? So much... Benefit for so much work. What do you learn about grace? What did this woman do to earn forgiveness? She believed. What? She believed. She believed. And her faith. Her faith saved her. She loved Jesus. She absolutely poured out her heart to him. And her actions were a representation right. of that love. It was a, mm-hmm. not a representation, but... Um, an example and it fully showed us as opposed to Simon who showed nothing she showed great love for the Lord Mm -hmm. and he knew it and so Simon then becomes a victim in his own party (laughs) (laughs) 
You see, the Lord upholds the one that was unworthy to him, but worthy to the Lord. Now, um, I want you to think about some of the principles about grace that we can apply to our own lives and to this idea that many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. When you think about the grace of God for your own self, what do you think about? If you think about it. I think it's a gift. When I think about it, I think it's just a gift. I've done nothing. Deserve nothing. It's a gift from God. Absolutely. It's free. What? It's free. It's free. I don't deserve it. You did not have to do anything. We do not deserve his grace. Again, if we were to get what we deserved, we would all be doomed for hell. But you see, because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we have been set free. Yes. Um, there's a, I don't know the word for it, but um, meaning of grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Mm -hmm. God's riches at Christ's expense. Mm -hmm. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we have been saved by his grace. I'm going to read again from Romans chapter 5. Um, I want to just kind of tell you how what I have been doing this last couple of months, sometimes when I study, it's hard to study for myself. And so what I decided I needed to do in about February, I mean, I can, I can study to teach, but it's different for something that I have need for personally. And I needed, um, because of other things that were happening, I needed to know that I was okay with God. And why, what I was just led to do was to go back to the basics, and I went back to Romans. I, I find Romans, is, Romans 5 through 8, or 3 through 8, just absolutely lays out the grace of God for our lives. And I had memorized some of these chapters years and years ago. But I went back to Romans 3 in that passage I had just read, and Romans 4, and I read over all of that and, and studied and took notes, in Romans 5, and I've been trying to re-memorize this again, but I want to read Romans 5, um, 1 down through about verse 11. This is all about the grace of God and what God has done for us. And I want to point out to you the words that the Lord has given me in this portion of Scripture that's spoken to me about his grace. So Romans 5, 1, and this is grace, Okay. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified. Counted as though we are righteous without having been righteous. Justification is a declared righteousness because of our faith in Jesus Christ. That's grace. God declares me when I put my trust in him, and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to save me, he justifies me. He has justified me. He said, Marsha, I declare you righteous as though you have never sinned. Now, that's not the end of it, okay? Justification is an act of grace. God's righteousness imparted to us and imputed, counted to us. That's what he does. He accounts the righteousness of Christ on my behalf that's an act of grace. 
The word impute means to count as righteous. He imputes righteousness. So justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith unto this grace in which we now stand. Because I've been justified by faith, just like Marilyn said, I can stand in the grace of God. Grace is a free gift, justified, as though I had never sinned. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. So along with this act of salvation, the Lord brings, allows and brings things into our lives that are designed to lead us into righteousness. Tribulation is one of the things that is designed to lead us into righteousness. We're declared righteousness, but now God begins to work out righteousness in us. Okay? So, he says, verse 5, And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. That's an act of grace. When God pours into my heart the Holy Spirit, because I have chosen to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's an act of grace on his part. He floods me with his love. He pours his love into my heart by the Holy Spirit. I couldn't do that. That's a gift of grace. So, you see in verse 6, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God, here's grace, demonstrates his own love for us in this, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's grace. Since we have now been justified by his blood, declared righteous, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? That's grace. I'm saved from the wrath of God. When I stand before him, I have the righteousness of Christ clothing me. I have his Holy Spirit living in me. That's because of the grace of God. So, Grace is a marvelous thing, undefinable, really. And then it, let's go on. It says in verse 10, for if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him, that mean, means being made right with God, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Again, that's grace. The act of reconciliation where we made, we're made right with God, I didn't do that. That's a gift of grace. God reconciled us while we were still sinners through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then it says, and, and, that, and, and that we'll be saved through his life, so the resurrection life of Christ is what goes on within us to save us. Not only in this, but we also re rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom we have now received reconciliation. We're made right with God. That's what happened to this woman that came into Simon's house. 
by the grace of God, her faith saved her. And along with that salvation that she rejoiced in was all of this other beautiful stuff that comes along with it when we receive the Lord. We're declared righteous. We're given the right to go to God in prayer and ask for forgiveness when we do sin. But we have a right standing with him that will never go away. And that's an act of grace. And that's what happens to this woman when she bows before the feet of Christ and pours out herself to him and says, Lord, I love you. I want to worship you. For by grace, we're saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of any works that I could do, but just by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a wonderful story? And it ought to charge us to go into that vineyard and work and bring in the rest of the people that are standing outside there waiting to be called to the Lord. And that's really what he wants us to do, to share what we have from the grace of God so that others then can share in what we've received. So let's pray and then um, we'll be dismissed. And you go out and just have a time of fellowship until all of the goodies get put out. And there's a lot of goodies. <laughs> That's grace. <laughs> so, all right, let's just pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. What a wonderful gift. And we thank you for all of the blessings that come along with grace, for the remission of sins, for the atoning blood of Jesus for the justification that is ours in Christ Jesus, for the reconciliation that you have worked out so that we can stand before you. And then, Lord, we have the promise of heaven. We praise you, Lord, for who you are, and we praise you for your grace. We thank you in Jesus' name. And, Lord, we pray also for this time of fellowship, that you will make it blessed and a good time together in the Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.